We are starting a new series this morning called Summer Shape Up. It's not about health and fitness, uh, so you're still welcome to come. I got worried that maybe people weren't coming today because they were <laughs> like, uh-oh. <laughs> but I heard it's vacation, and that's okay. That's allowed. Uh, but yeah, Summer Shape Up. We're taking time uh, in this series to analyze parts of our life, areas of our life uh, that we need to get in shape. And before, we, before I even tell you the today's topic, I want to give you kind of this picture, which is where this series came from. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, I wish, I wish I had a physical picture of this, but I don't. When I was in fourth grade, um, I was just super responsible, like every fourth grader, right? <laughs> just, just, you could trust me, and I was on top of everything. And I did not have a backpack. I carried a gym bag. Um, again, Landon and gym bag, like... <laughs> Two opposites, but I was carrying this gym bag, and it had all my stuff in it, and, and I would put my lunch, I never, ever bought a cafeteria lunch ever in my life, and so I always brought my lunch, and I put it in my bag, and I had all my homework, and all my school supplies, and everything was in this bag, and so I would go to school, and then I would come back, and the next day, I would put more things in this gym bag, more lunch, more homework, you know, what, what not, but the problem was, as a fourth grader, I I Again, not super, super responsible, and I would never throw anything away. I would also never finish my food, because if you don't know this, I talk a lot, and, and I would just sit at lunch. You know, 20 minutes is not long enough for me to eat everything in my lunch, and so I would just continually add things to my gym bag without ever taking things out of my gym bag. This went on for months, months and months. My mother, my sweet mother, who's probably watching right now, I do not know, maybe she was just having a rough season, why she did not check in this gym bag, but I came home and I was like, man, my back is hurting. Like, I, I, I can't even hardly walk. As a fourth grader, you shouldn't be having back problems. You shouldn't. But I was, and I was hurting, and, and then, and, and like, it was just one side of my back. It's because I'm carrying this 50-pound gym bag that's got stuff in it. And one day I come home and I'm like, Mom, I'm hungry. Can I have a, can I have a snack or something? She said, well, why? Are you, are you not eating your lunch? I was like, well, I didn't know which food was the bad food and which food was the good food. And that's what set her off. She said, I need to check in his bag. And so my mom ended up checking in my bag and finding, I mean, I don't even know what all was in that bag. Homework, for sure. Food, for sure. Animals, maybe. I don't know. There's just no telling what was in that gym bag. But because of everything that I had in that bag, I was unhealthy, physically unhealthy. I wasn't eating. My back was hurting. It was heavy to carry. And as I think about our lives, how many things do we have that we're carrying that we really can get rid of? How many things do we have that we're carrying that it's not necessary? Or that maybe we need to change some things in the bag. If I would have just thrown away the old bananas, I could have bought new bananas. But I didn't. And so the old bananas and the new bananas mushed, and it was disgusting. And that's how life is when we don't keep everything in check. And so sh summer shape up. What we're going to do is kind of shape up that bag. What are things in that bag that we need to take out? What are things that we just need to move around? What are things that we need to reprioritize? We're just going to look at at different areas. I hope that you're wearing like 
steel-toed boots every, every week for the next four weeks because this is going to be, we're going to be challenging. Uh, as I've been preparing, I've been challenging myself. I'll write something, I'm like, I can't say that. <laughs> that's, that's too hard. But it's just biblical truth that we're looking at for our life. What do we need to do? So today we're talking about shaping up our attitude. woo Shaping up our attitude. We're going to be in three passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 2, and Psalm chapter 119. Do you see that? Psalm 119, verse 112. Goodness gracious, David. So we're going to talk about why, why do we need to adjust? Somebody, David wrote the Psalms. Thank you. Okay. So I'm a little bit OCD about like certain things. I don't know if you're like this, but there's some things that I'm OCD about. Like it has to be perfect. It has to be done just the way that I want it to be done or I'm going to lose my mind. And there's other things that I could not possibly care less about. Clothing, okay? Y'all, almost every week I get a hard time about something that I'm wearing. But I don't care about clothes at all. Zero percent, okay? If I, I used to joke with my sisters, like, I'm going to get married in sweatpants. Like, I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Because it literally doesn't. I'm not OCD in the least bit about clothing. But pictures on the wall. If I go to a friend's house and I see a picture on the wall and it could be like off by like a millimeter, I will go home and for weeks will not stop thinking about that picture. And I'll think, how can that person live with that picture in their life? And so, like, I mean, literally, I'm, I'm that OCD about pictures. I cannot stand when they're crooked. But here's the thing. If I would just walk up to the picture and fix it, a little adjustment makes a big difference. Okay? In my mind, a little adjustment makes a big difference. With our attitudes, a little adjustment makes a really, really big difference. I'm going to tell you this. If you hear, and this is, a big, this is a big statement. If you hear this message today and you put it into practice, and your life is not different for the better, I will buy you lunch one time. Okay? That where? Maybe awesomes. I don't know. We'll, I'll think about it. I'll, we'll see. That's how confident I am that if we shape up our attitudes, a a little adjustment in our life, our entire life will look different. Your entire outlook will look different just with a little bit of adjusting. You might be surprised how much better your life would be. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're actually going to read this a little bit out of order. Uh, We're reading verses 22 through 24, but we're going to read 22 then 24, and then 23, and I'll explain why. It's not just for fun. Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So verse 22 says, stop being the old person. It's time for you to stop. We know this verse. You probably heard this verse. Stop being the old person. It's time to move on. Time to be somebody new. Time to be somebody better. Skip verse 23, go to verse 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you have verse 22 that says, stop stop doing this. Stop living the way that you're living and change it. And then verse 24 that says, be the new person. It's time for you to be the new person that God created you to be. Be like God. And verse 23 is the bridge of how we connect the two. The bridge of how do I go from old to new. Verse 23 says this, 
to be made new in what? The attitude of your minds. The key to seeing newness in your life, the key to seeing change in your life is your attitude. If you change your attitude, you can see evidence of going from old man to new man. Not age-wise I'm talking about, but, but character-wise. Character God says, stop being the old person, be the new person. How? Change the attitude of your mind. Change the attitude of your mind. The key to newness is your attitude. The key to the questions that you're asking, the key to the problems that you're having, about why is this still happening? It's your attitude. Change your attitude. The key to your calling, I'm going to say this, the key to your calling, your calling in life, the key to it is your attitude, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that in, in, in a minute, but just if that's one thing that you hear, if you hear one thing today, the key to your calling in your life is your attitude. We're going to talk about it. Philippians 2, 5. Philippians 2, 5. Says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. My attitude has to be like Christ Jesus. I'm sure, and, and you know, you know Jesus, you've read the Bible, you can see what he talks about. He has a pretty good attitude. Now, does he lose his temper every once in a while? Yes. But that doesn't reflect on a bad attitude, it reflects on a good character. Okay, your emotions should back up your character, okay? So Jesus did get angry. Jesus did walk into the temple and start throwing things and start cussing. Jesus did this, okay? But why? It wasn't because he was just grumpy. It wasn't because he woke up and he was like, I woke up too early this morning and I'm just, ah, that's not Jesus. He wasn't frustrated and so he just walked in and started flipping stuff. No, he was angry, righteously angry because people were sinning. Righteous anger is okay. It's okay, Jesus had it. But it wasn't because Jesus' attitude was bad. The shortest verse in all the Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. Jesus was sad. It's okay to have emotions. Emotions are a good thing. But why are you emotional? Are you being emotional for the wrong reason? Hmm. Are you being emotional for the wrong reason? Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus had died. He didn't weep because, you know, sisters took too long at lunch. I've thought that before. One time I went to sisters for lunch, and I was like, I am starving. I am so, so hungry. And they're always so busy because they're delicious. I didn't start weeping and throwing tables. Okay? I didn't. And that's not why Jesus was losing his mind either. He was losing his mind because of righteous things. His character was instilled in righteousness. And so when somebody came up and was doing something other than that, he felt an emotion. It's okay to feel emotions, but why are you feeling the emotions? Maybe our attitudes need to be more like Christ in that when we get emotional, it's because things are not being done righteously. Things are not being done biblically. If you make the decision to adjust your attitude, you're going to enjoy your, your life much more than you think you can. And here's the thing. Your attitude affects you, but it doesn't just affect you. It affects every single person around you, every single person connected to you. With social media, with connections like we have today, your attitude literally can affect hundreds and hundreds of people in an instant. Your attitude can affect 
everybody. But the great thing about your attitude is that it's yours, which means you are in charge. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes on something that's very, very unpopular. And if you, if you, <laughs> corn planter, <laughs> if you are angry about it, please don't throw your shoes or anything. Let's just talk at lunch. It'll be fine. You are in charge of your emotions and you're in charge of your thoughts. Okay? And you're, you're in charge of your attitude. These are all connected, one and the same. Quit blaming the way that you're acting on other people. Quit it. Stop. You know, I, 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 I see all the time and you hear all the time, well, he just, he just broke my heart. She just broke my heart. No, they didn't. If you hadn't given them your heart, they couldn't break it in the first place. You're in charge. You're in charge of what you think. You're in charge of what you feel. The Bible says it. It says guard your heart. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. You're in charge. He wouldn't say, guard your thoughts, run your thoughts, submit your thoughts to me. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. You're in charge. And so we can't blame things on other people anymore. I'm just telling you, we have to stop it. We have become a victimizing culture where everything is always, my life is horrible, everything is bad happening to me. I can't believe that every, all this stuff is happening. No, you are in charge. Other people, yes, other people are going to do stupid stuff. It's life. They're going to. People are going to try and hurt you. People are going to try and get at you. But here's the thing. You're in charge. Okay? If you think someone's going to hurt you, don't give them your heart. Don't just open up and, and give your heart out to everyone because you will get hurt. And it's not them. It's you. Guard your heart. Guard your thoughts when you have things running through your mind. Submit them to Jesus. Guard your emotions. No one's in charge of your emotions but you. Okay? And so when you're sad and you're upset, the Bible says you have the ability to choose joy. Joy and happiness are different. Joy is something that, that you can choose and hold on to. Jesus overcomes. I can choose joy. Okay? You're in charge of what you feel. Don't be a victim. And here's, here's, how, how, here's how you know. A, it's all over Scripture, but there's testimonies. There's testimonies. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, but we also overcome by the word of people's testimonies. Okay, so testimonies are important. Listen to people's stories. There's a man named Viktor Frankl. Okay, uh, he survived the Holocaust. I'm not going to go into the details of the Holocaust because there's young ears in the room, but you know what it was. Forty million people died. Forty million people died. Seventeen million Jews died. They were tortured. Men, women, sons were sold. They were killed. Unbelievable pain. Unbelievable hurt. Nothing that we have ever felt. Nothing that comes close to what we have felt. And this man is a survivor. And he said two brilliant things. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to respond. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. So something happens to me. As soon as it happens, I have a choice. How do I respond? And in that, that is where I find growth. And that's where I find freedom. In the way that we respond to things that happen. And this, this quote is even, I mean, even more brilliant. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances and to choose one's own way. 
This man just watched his family be killed. He just witnessed his entire people group be killed. He survived. And he says, you know what? You can take every single thing away from me. You can take every single thing away from me, but I have control over my attitude. I have control over it. If I'm this dude, if we are this dude, we have every reason to blame other people for our bad attitude. Every single reason. You think your life is bad? His entire people group is, 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 is under attack. They're dying. 40 million people are dying. And he says, you know what? I can have a good attitude because I'm in charge. You can't take that away. If Viktor Frankl can say that after walking through all that he walked through, we need to know we are in charge of our attitudes. We can choose to have a good attitude. Okay, I said earlier, if you hear one thing, I want it to be that, but scratch that. This is better, what I'm about to say. <laughs> okay, if you're taking notes, you need to take a note on this, write it on your phone, write it in your brain, something. It's question, is your problem really your problem? Some of you are thinking, Landon, what? <laughs> is your problem really your problem? That thing that you think is your problem, the thing that's hurting you, the thing that's distracting you, the thing that's angering you, is that really your problem? Or is your response to your problem actually your problem? Let me tell you this. There are people in the exact same situation as you that are much happier. There are 7 billion people on this earth. There are people that are in the exact same situation as you, and they're happier. Because it's about our response to our problem. And here's another thing. There are people on this earth that are in much worse situations than you, and they're happier. Because it's about the response to the problem. Some of the happiest people of, of my whole life. I've told y'all, I think I told y'all. Oh, no, that was a baccalaureate. Again, you need to watch baccalaureate. It was funny. I talked about buying women's clothing and skinny jeans, and it was horrible. But I went to Mozambique one time, and I bought women's clothing on accident. But, again, watch baccalaureate. So I went to Mozambique, and we were working in an orphanage, and we were working with, with children, and these were, these were kids that had lost both their parents. Some of them were 11 and 12 years old and were being put in charge of their family at 11 and 12 years old. And these were literally the happiest people I've ever seen in my life, these kids. Overflowing with joy, always happy. These were people that literally, they had a bowl of rice with a fish on it for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. And they were so, so happy. They were so happy. Your problem is not really your problem. Your response to the problem is your problem. If there's orphan children in Mozambique who are eating rice and fish every day, who are parenting and leading their families at 11 and 12 years old, if they can choose joy in their situations, you can choose joy in your situations. You can choose joy in the hard times. We must take an Attitude inventory. Let me tell you how you do this, okay? You can tell the mood that somebody's in and the attitude that somebody's having by listening to the music that they're playing, okay? I'm just telling you this. This is the truth. You sit in somebody's car and they start playing old, like, you know, Aretha Franklin, you know they're in some mood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just true. If you yeah, if you listen and, and they're listening to Michael Jackson, you know. That's, that's, some, that's some different kind of mood. 
But then if they're listening to like, you know, the soundtrack from The Lion King, they're like, okay, they're fine. You can tell somebody's attitude by the type of music they listen to, okay? It's true, but you know what the Bible says about music? It says, stop the old music, and it's time to write a new song. Okay, our attitudes, we can change it. We can write a new song that we sing. God, I'm so happy. My life is so good. Thank you for everything. We can write. I was going to start singing that, but I decided not to. So that's why I just danced real fast. You can sing a new song. Stop singing the old song. Stop singing the old tune. Your life is not so horrible. Sing a new one. Sing a new song. A lot of our problems are about perspective. I'm going to read you a letter real fast. This is from a college girl to her parents. (coughs) This is a little bit long, so just bear with me. Dear Mom and Dad, it has been three months since I left for college. I I have been remiss in writing, and I am very sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I will bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. You are not to read any further unless you are sitting down. Are you sitting down? Okay. At this point, as a parent, (laughs) what are you thinking? (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. Absolutely. Well, then I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught fire shortly after my arrival are pretty well healed by now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital, and now I can see almost normally and only get those bad headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump was witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm, and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me at the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He is a very fine boy, and we have fallen deeply in love, and we are planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. (laughs) Yes, Mom and Dad, I am pregnant. I know how very much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care that you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend had some minor infection which prevents us from passing our premarital blood tests, and I carelessly caught it from him. This will soon clear up with the penicillin injections I am now taking daily. I know you will welcome him into the family with open arms. He is kind, and although not well educated, he is ambitious. Although he is of different race and religion than ours, I know that your oft-expressed tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by the fact that his skin color is somewhat different than ours. I am sure you will love him as I do. Now that I have brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I am not engaged. I do not have a disease, and there is no man in my life. However, I am getting a D in sociology and an F in science, and I wanted you to see these in perspective. <laughs> Can you imagine how happy those parents were? D in sociology, yes! (laughs) Hallelujah! They would be ecstatic. Why? Because the problem was put into perspective. Put the problems in perspective. I know this is is silly and it's, it's so exaggerative. I mean, just unbelievable. But can you imagine? Put yourself in in the shoes of those parents. After reading this letter, if you're, if you're not dead from a heart attack at this point, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. A dean sociology, we, we are fine. 
Because the problem was put in perspective. Our problems are way less about our actual problems, but more about our attitudes and our perspective towards the problem. The Bible repeatedly tells us in trials and in tribulations we are to be happy. John 16.33 says, in this world you will have trouble. He says it. He just says, you're going to struggle. Your life is going to be hard. But he says, take heart. He says, in spite of that, take heart. In spite of that, be happy. In spite of that, choose joy. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in spite of everything going on in your life, and your life will be hard, you will have things happen, in spite of everything, take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter what problems you have. Landon, I just, I just can't be happy because I'm walking through this. You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I'm sorry. I'm saying this. If you need to talk about your problems, I am so here. If you want to talk about the things that are going on in your life, I'm so here. But let me tell you, the only solution is Jesus. That's it. He's the only solution. He overcame the world. It doesn't matter what he did to you because Jesus overcame the world. Okay? I know that's hard, and it's a hard concept to put into place. But we can take heart. We can choose joy because Jesus did overcome the world. I know what Jesus did for you. No matter what's going on, that doesn't go away. Jesus didn't, didn't overcome the world, die just for one day or for a year of your life, for a month of your life. He died for the entirety of your life so you can choose joy. We need to stop being so bothered by our problems and rejoice that we do have Jesus. What an honor to have a God that is so faithful in the hard times and in the good. He is so faithful. I just, you know, another, another thing that we do is we kind of, again, basing everything on our thoughts and our feelings. Well, I just think, I just think this. You know, I just think this is weighing me down. I just, I just feel this. Well, here's, we don't go off of thoughts and feelings. We go off of what we know. And what we know is that Jesus is for us. Jesus is with us. Go off of what we know. God is faithful. James 1, 2 and 4 says, Consider it pure joy. I've talked about this. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? That, that sentence makes no sense. Consider it pure joy when I face trials. Why? Because it says that's how he's going to perfect your faith. It's how he's going to better you. Sometimes trials happen to us so that we can overcome them and be better. Okay? That's just the truth. And it's hard. Okay? But we grow in our faith when we do what? Choose joy in our trials. God knows what you're feeling. Okay? He does. You can be honest with Him. God, this is hard. I hate this. But after you say that, rejoice. Because through that, God is perfecting you. Through that, God is growing your faith. God, this is hard, but thank you for growing me. Thank you for giving me opportunities to grow and be more of who you called me to be. Often, your calling is contained in your challenges, if you see them correctly. Psalm 119, verse 112. I believe this is the longest chapter in the Bible. Is that true, Lurleen? Okay. So, <laughs> we'll Google it. I believe this is the longest chapter in the Bible. 
Psalm 119, 112. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. A lot of these, a lot of translations say, I set my heart. I set my heart on your decrees until the very end. So first off, again, we need to recognize we are in charge of our hearts. Okay, that's a big responsibility, but you're in charge. Don't let somebody else run your heart. If somebody else is running your heart, it's actually not on them, it's on you. Because it says you are in charge. You are in charge of your heart. But the key to lasting change in your life and in your attitude is right here in this verse. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Lasting change happens when we change our hearts. Are our hearts set in a divine direction? Is your heart, is your attitude, is your perspective set in a divine direction? Are we always pointing our hearts and our minds to Jesus? Because it says that's, that's how we change. When you set your heart in a, in a divine direction until the very end, you can see change in your heart. But it's up to you when we want to see change. That's how we do it. Point your heart, point your thought, point your mind to Jesus. It starts from within. All right, three quick practicals of how to change your attitude, and we're done. Three quick practicals. One, shape up your thoughts. Again, the Bible says you're in charge of your thoughts. Y'all remember these little bands we used to wear on our arms? Uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We thought we were so cool. What would Jesus do? And that's good. It's good to think about that. But we also need to think about what would Jesus think? Between stimulus and response, that's when we see our growth. That's when we see our freedom happen. So right when something happens to you and you have the opportunity to choose how to respond, think, what would Jesus think in this situation? Here's how you know what Jesus would think. Because the Bible is every word spoken from God. Okay, so if you want to know really what Jesus is thinking, open up the Bible. Open it up and see. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. Here, here's what he says. Here's what he's thinking. Here's what he believes. You can know when something happens in between stimulus and response. Think, what would Jesus think? Shape up your thoughts. The Bible says, take your thoughts captive. You're in charge. Don't let your situations determine what you're thinking. Let what you know, let the truth of God's word determine what you think. Because situations and the world will tell you to think other ways. But this is truth. Think about Godly things, think like Christ. All right, number one, shape up your thoughts. Number two, shape up your community. Who's around you? You become like the people that you spend time with. Okay? You do. And if, if you think not, then you forgot high school because you do. You do. And in college, you become like who you spend your time around. Your community is so important. Are you surrounding yourselves? by people that are negative, by people that are pessimists, that people are always complaining, everything, oh, everything is horrible. Are you surrounding yourself by victims? Because let me tell you what, it, your life will change and be so much better if you find different community. It will be. Who are you surrounding yourself with? So what, that also, I mean, that's friends, but it's also, are you spending time with the Lord? Because if you really want to change your attitude, the best way is just spending time with the Lord. And that's such a, a pastory thing to say, and I know you, you hate hearing it, but it's 
that important that every pastor on earth feels the need to say it all the time. Spend time with God. It will change everything. It will change your perspective when you read the word, when you listen to what God is saying to you. He has the ultimate, the, the best attitude Jesus had. We can spend time with him, and then we can change our attitude by mimicking him, by imitating him. Change your community, change the people you're around so that you can change your attitude. So that's number one, uh, shape up your thoughts. Number two, shape up your community. Number three, shape up your habits. The things that you do daily really, really affect the things that you think and the, the way that your attitude is. The things that you do daily. If you're doing a certain thing every day and every day that you do it, it's making you more and more angry. It's making you more and more miserable. Stop doing it. Stop. We do this with sin. When, we, when we're sinning, it, when, we, when, we, <laughs> when we think about it, we're like, I hate doing this. I'm so mad that I'm doing this. I'm miserable when I'm doing it. And then the next day or hours later, you're doing it again. Change your habits. When we are habitually caught in something and it continually makes us angry and makes us sad, you can stop doing it. Habits, they say, what, it takes 21 days to break a habit? Find you a partner, find you an accountability partner that for 21 days will walk with you as you try and break that habit that's destroying you, and it'll work. If you have somebody that's just like, hey, how did you do this today? No? Great. Another day down. 21 days, you can break a habit. And when you break habits that hurt you, your attitude can change. That's it. I thought I had something else, but that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we just love you. God, we thank you so much that you are faithful. We thank you so much that you are good. God, I just pray that you would challenge us. I pray that to our very core you would challenge us about some of these things. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful for who you are. Lord, bring up areas in our life that we need to change our attitude. We need to shape up our attitude. I pray that we would have the courage and the boldness to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.